0: hey hello it's been a minute
1: yeah it has uh apologies to listeners who've been eagerly awaiting you know we had holiday travels and stuff and mm-hmm. all that so it, it took a little bit out of our schedules but we're back
0: we're back i did the thing where i tried to take a nap but i didn't really have enough time and i ended up like more tired so i hope this is an exciting story
1: it is. It is. Today we're going to be talking about Kwame <laughs> Nkrumah.
0: Okay, great. Entertain me. I'm like a. I'm like a king. Like Malwine. Tell me a tale, <laughs> oh, jester. No.
1: Yeah, I'm your jester. <laughs> mm-hmm. The jesters all the way down. Uh. Okay. Cool. Let's talk about Kwame Nkrumah. Uh. He was a very important leader of Ghana. All right. So we'll, we'll kind of cover his, I mean, it's a bio thing more so than general history, but it's going to be a lot of the history of Ghana, but mostly focused on his life and his role in that. He's a socialist. So we'll, we'll kind of like take a look at how his particular stripe of socialism uh, was applied in Ghana and what we can learn from that.
0: Okay. Well, I am Googling a map of Ghana, so I know where it is.
1: <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, don't be ashamed to do the same Your understanding of the world only increases as you look up maps.
0: (laughs) Yes. Okay. So if you look in Africa and it looks like, you know, a a tilty ice cream cone, it's on the underside of the ice cream cone on the west. Yeah, we usually
1: call that like West Africa, you know, the west coast of.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, some of us are more visual and less good at cardinal directions.
1: But that is also fairly broad because you also have northern Africa that is also western, which we're talking about the, the underside of that. All right, Uh, a little bit about the background of Ghana to kind of set the stage. Uh, It used to be called the Gold Coast. Okay, was there gold there? It's not so much named after gold as like making a lot of gold there because this is uh, where um, people would go to trade slaves, to trade other goods, but like make a lot of money. You know, this Mm. was a, a prime shipping location. The whole area there, which is now like several different countries, uh, this was very lucrative for European colonizers. And one of those colonizers was the British. So, starting in 1821, is where they kind of started what would become the, their Gold Coast colony. Classic imperialism here. It was ruthlessly exploited, all that. It was initially like different regions and different, like, kind of colonies fused into the Gold Coast colony. But this kind of leads to eventually their kind of regional tensions that kind of simmer. Mm, different tribal groups and stuff, different groups of people who don't necessarily agree or are kind of jealous toward one another. That's kind of an undercurrent. Uh, Before Kwame Nkrumah is on the stage at all, there's a long simmering independence or kind of like nationalist movement in the Gold Coast. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, people don't like being exploited. Yeah. Before his time, it's more of an elite movement. Uh, It's more like educated people kind of wanting more self-government under the British Empire. Like, they don't really want to be super <laughs> their own country. They just want to, like, have more self-rule.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: A decent analogy in in that regard is kind of like Ireland, how you used to have the Home Rule movement. Mm, yeah, that's right. Versus, like, full-on independence.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, I want to be in charge, but I still want exploitation to go on. I just want to be in charge of it.
1: I want, yeah, I want to be running that, <laughs> please. <laughs> Okay, so then we get to uh, Kwame Nkrumah's birth. Uh, he was born September twenty first, nineteen
0: oh nine. Uh, Virgo, I think. Let me Google. <laughs> September. Oh, dude, I think I sent 21st. you this. Actually, I think you did. I remember typing I, this? I did not look up. Oh, Virgo. <laughs> Good job. I know.
1: All I'm, right, we can tell us about him already
0: so virgos very organized um you know these are your type a kind of anal folks um very a little intense i would say yeah i mean successful they are pretty pretty smart i would say as well
1: so yeah hard working is is maybe organized hard working nerd yes got it okay this 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 fairly well fits okay correctly typed virgo (laughs) Uh, he was born in 1909 in the small village of Nkroful in the Gold Coast. Uh, his father was not around. Uh, his father was a goldsmith, but he, like, worked in a different city, basically. Uh, so he was raised by his mother, Elizabeth Nyaniba, uh, and their, like, extended family. It was a very traditional uh, household in that regard. Kind of takes a village to raise a child sort of setting. Gotcha. Uh, and in that vein, uh, his first name Kwame is the traditional name in the Akan culture for a male born on a Saturday.
0: That is cool that they have that. I like that right? chart.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I would, it's, it's ma- it makes it easier, right? <laughs> you don't have to think of a cool name. You just, oh, yeah.
0: This is Saturday, boy.
1: <laughs> yeah. And Nkrumah, his last name, is the traditional name for the ninth child.
0: Okay, so you know exactly which one you're talking about. Okay, if you right. were a player, you could say, Well, I got a date with Monday boy, Tuesday boy, Wednesday boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go, yeah. Uh all right, so big household. Uh he finished Catholic elementary school early, so he was a nerd. Yeah, okay. And he got noticed by the headmaster of the government training college there, and he recruited him. He's like, Kwame, you are very smart. I want you to be a part of my school to train as a teacher.
0: Oh, I was going to guess priest, but went with teacher. Okay.
1: Yeah. Very dark side path Mm -hmm. here (laughs) from early on. (laughs) Uh, So he does that. He's like, that sounds great. So one of the school officials there at his teacher training college, this is like the government training college there. uh, His name is Quigir Agre. He's kind of like a, sort of a radical he's not like a communist or anything uh but he kind of exposes nkrumah to more radical ideas the thinking the writing of marcus garvey and w.e.b du bois
0: oh okay maybe we need to get into like teach for america or something and start (laughs) corrupting some young people
1: (laughs) yeah well it really won't be very effective. And if you do Teach for America, you're only there for like two years. Oh, that's right. And really high turnover. Maybe not that effective. But yeah, seating radical teachers while we still have a teaching profession may be a good idea. <laughs> uh, do you know anything about these guys, Marcus Garvey or W.E.B. Du Bois?
0: Uh, I've heard of Du Bois. Like he was a very famous writer. That's all I know. <laughs> I think there's some schools named after him, but that's all I know.
1: Fair enough. So, listeners, you guys might be in the same boat. Let's just kind of give a quick intro blurb, I guess, to these guys. Du Bois was a pan-Africanist, a civil rights activist, a peace activist, a sociologist, and a historian uh, from the U.S. Do you know what pan-Africanist, what, the, what does that mean?
0: I mean, is that kind of like you, you think Africa should, like, all the countries there should unite and, like, do their own thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: great. Good job. Yeah,
1: awesome.
0: <laughs> it's like Bolivar, but for Africa.
1: Yeah, basically. Uh, let's all come together. And it's, there's different degrees of it, of like, just kind of cooperation versus like actual political union, you know. Yeah. But Du Bois pushed for full racial equality across the board uh, at a time. So his time was from 1868 to 1963. That's like how long he lived. All right. So he's, you know, in his 20s in like the 1880s, then what's traditionally known as the nadir of American race, racial relations, because it was like the height of Jim Crow. Yeah. Yeah. This is a time when other black leaders like Booker T. Washington wanted to kind of settle for just like educational and economic opportunities, but leave, you know pushing for full civil rights and that leave that to the side. He was like, no, let's push for this. He campaigned for anti-lynching legislation. Uh, he campaigned against Jim Crow laws. And he was interesting because he, as a historian, as a sociologist, analyzed things and saw capitalism Ooh. as the root cause of racism.
0: Okay. Love that. I mean, I don't love that, but I right <laughs> I like that he was aware of that.
1: Right. No, he he was aware of it. He wrote about it. He was a socialist. He actually was a member of the Socialist Party of America for a little bit. He later in his life became an outright communist. Nice. Uh, He organized and attended multiple Pan-African Congresses starting in 1919. These were like meetings that pushed for, you know, decolonizing Africa. Very cool. Uh, And it's at one of these, at the fifth Pan-African Congress, that he would actually meet uh kwame nkrumah who he had ah. had an influence on
0: okay cool uh
1: the other guy marcus garvey uh, he's around in the same time period 1887 to 1940 he's a little more controversial okay than Du Bois. Uh because he was a black nationalist in the u.s and then later jamaica when he got deported he was very separatist um so he was like anti-integration Uh, he thought that races should basically each have their own nation he kind of saw america as like well the white people won this one this is their nation wow we need to go get somewhere else basically
0: interesting okay
1: yeah he's kind of controversial because he was um essentially like a racial purist
0: yeah Um, but in the other way
1: right yeah and he was even willing to like uh, sort of collaborate um with like the clan woof and just kind of say like, yeah, we're, we're kind of working towards the, the same thing. You know, like we want separate nations for ourselves, which a lot of people are like, that's that's garbage. Yo. Like, yeah, that's,
0: that's intense. Maybe not.
1: Yeah. So th- these were some of the some of the thoughts uh, that he was looking at with these uh, with these guys.
0: OK. He ends up in
1: 1930 qualifying as a teacher. He holds a few teaching posts and at some point even considers what you mentioned before becoming a jesuit priest mm. but he decides against it he's like no <laughs> nah, never mind <laughs> uh in 1935 he decides i'm gonna go get higher education than i've got i'm gonna go abroad to america and i'm gonna study i'm gonna get an actual full-on degree he had like teacher certification but like,
0: gotcha gotcha
1: the next step so he goes to attend lincoln university a historically black university
0: is that like lincoln nebraska or a different lincoln area
1: No, totally different area. Uh, (laughs) This was in Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. Yeah. Very different.
1: (laughs) Um, He gets a scholarship for like tuition, but he still has to like work as a dishwasher to kind of make ends meet. So he's got kind of like, you know, those sorts of working class experiences in that way, but that's more or less where that ends his working experience during college uh, in terms of blue collar work. In 1939, he gets his bachelor's in economics and sociology. And gets a job as an assistant lecturer in philosophy. Uh, at that point, he enrolls in seminary. What? Uh, yeah, he gets a bachelor's in theology in 1942, top of his class. So dang,
0: a big God nerd.
1: <laughs> and he also gets a master's in philosophy and education the next year.
0: Okay, is it, this is all still in the states?
1: Uh, y- yes, okay. I believe so at this point, because yeah, he's about to move. In 1945, uh, he enrolls in the London School of Economics, mm, okay. going for a Ph.D. in anthropology. But he does not complete it. He withdraws after one term. Kind of, He's kind of figuring out what he's going to even do. I mean, yeah, point.
0: he's a professional student right now.
1: Yeah. And it's an interesting thing because he, he also dabbles at that time in, in studying to become a lawyer. But he doesn't do that either. Overall, basically, he's described as not really being the best student like being very directed at his thesis and stuff like that mm, at this time okay, okay. his doctorate supervisor basically says yeah it seemed like he was you know more focused on political activities and kind of biding his time to go back to the gold coast at that time gotcha uh, and even his friend uh, who he had made in america the marxist historian clr james referred to him as not very bright
0: oh rude
1: Yeah, well, it's it's it actually turns out less rude than it sounds. But uh, (laughs) this basically he's just saying, you know, Nkrumah was more focused on political activism than his studies. And this was true Uh, at Lincoln. He organized and led the African Students Association of America and Canada, which was this Pan-Africanist student group. And he also helped organize a Pan-African conference in New York in 1944. So he was kind of like already doing shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like I mentioned that his friend, this Marxist historian, he was meeting interesting people. Uh, he met the Marxist humanist riot Dunayevskaya, uh, the Marxist social activist and feminist Grace Lee Boggs, uh, and CLR James, who we just mentioned. These, these were kind of like uh, leftist Marxists. Uh, they were kind of running in a circle at the time in the U.S., like intellectual sort of these leftist ties though that he were that he was making got him into the FBI files. Oh,
0: good. Finally. Yeah, they were like,
1: "Hmm, possible communist. <laughs> got to check this guy out." Just
0: gonna bookmark that for later.
1: <laughs> and we we said James, you know, he uh, CLR James called him not very bright, but the context of that, he was writing a letter in, of introduction uh for Nkrumah. Not a great way I guess to introduce someone. No. But, uh, he was writing it to fellow communist george padmore who was in london at the time so when he goes to move to to london he writes this letter for him and the context the sentence was this young man is coming to you he's not very bright but nevertheless do what you can for him because he's determined to throw the europeans out of africa
0: i mean yeah the second half of that is great but still you can't just be like backhanded compliment there
1: Hey, I mean, if it gets you where you need to go.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah. If that's what it takes to get a favor, then sure, you can call me
1: names. (laughs) (laughs) So October 1945, Nkrumah teams up with Padmore, who he's been introduced to. They get along well. They start working together uh, to organize that fifth Pan-African Congress in Manchester. Uh, This is just a month after the end of World War II. It's attended by a lot of uh, a lot of big shot anti-colonialist people, including how we mentioned before, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois is there. Uh, there's also Jomo Kenyatta, who would be the future kind of like founding father of Kenya. Uh, he's not like radical. I mean, he's, he's pretty anti-communist, really, but um, he's, you know, uh, also anti-colonialist. I yeah,
0: guess, yeah, huh? I'll take that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, some, some other independence leader Hastings Banda who would later be the leader of Malawi he would turn out to be pretty bad but mm, okay. he was at the time anti-colonialist okay. um, and Amy Ashwood Garvey who was interesting she was a pan-Africanist activist she was Marcus Garvey's ex-wife
0: uh, okay.
1: and she chaired the opening session spoke about women's issues in regards to like the pan-Africanist you know, okay, overall cool. movement very cool So, yeah, they uh, made demands for decolonization. They condemned imperialism, racial discrimination. Uh, They were talking about all these things. They also set up something called the West African National Secretariat to uh, to basically keep the work going. You know, they were having their meeting, but they're like, what are we going to do? You know, action items after this. So that that was their job. And Nkrumah was made secretary of that.
0: Wait, is secretariat just the position of secretary?
1: Uh, Yeah. So the secretariat is like the people who work for the secretary.
0: Mm, Okay. okay.
1: Within that, though, I think this is interesting. So their public work is, hey, we're going to promote Pan-Africanism. Nkrumah and Padmore organized a secret socialist revolutionary kind of inner circle.
0: Oh, hell yeah.
1: In the secretariat. It was called, creatively enough, the circle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that makes it sound very mysterious and cool
1: yeah or like culty i don't know <laughs> i
0: mean that too i guess you know can't have one with the other
1: <laughs> so they were like actually coordinating with the communist party of great britain uh their like big term goal was to one day create a union of african socialist republics which sounds dope hell yeah but it's 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 pretty cool sounding it does get them like watched by the state <laughs> department and yeah, MI five
0: for sure
1: as, you know potential communists
0: It sounds like they're past potential.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They really were. Um. Wouldn't
0: that suck if you were like part of the secretariat and like they didn't think you were cool enough to get invited? You're like, man, those guys always get together after work to like go hang out and they've never invited me. (laughs) Like they don't think like you're not being communist enough, I guess.
1: Yeah. And then like later, you know, decades later, you're just, you're retired or something and you Mm -hmm. find out about the circle. You're like, what the fuck? Like
0: I could have helped, bro. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, you want to be the kind of person they would approach for that. So That's just, true. Strive to be cool enough to be invited to the <laughs> circle. <laughs> exactly. So by this point, you know, that was in 1945. By this point, more and more people in the Gold Coast were clamoring for greater representation in the government. Or really like any representation at all. It was restricted to basically just the chiefs and the British officials.
0: That sucks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in 1946, Britain relented and drew up a new constitution for the Gold Coast to give them a majority on the legislative council. So you would have like six automatic automatic members, British members, six of them nominated by the British governor. And then you'd have 18 uh, elected sort of members from the indigenous population.
0: This is something I've never thought about before with like imperialism and colonialism imagine the audacity of creating a constitution for another country and being like here you go
1: here yeah, this should serve you well yeah
0: <laughs> ugh nasty all the
1: great ideas for you
0: that's so gross because it's also like you're you're not good enough for our constitution so <laughs> making oh, you, have you have your, your own. own yeah a shittier
1: one <laughs> So they were going to have elections, like I said, not really, you know, universal suffrage or anything only that's only in like four cities and the rest are kind of done by tribal councils of the chiefs. But this meant the formation of political parties. And the first one formed was the United Gold Coast Convention. These guys supported independence from the UK as quickly as possible. Great. They were, however, people with usual like like actual jobs who were the leaders of this party. Like they had to work all the, you know, they were like oh, lawyers okay, and gotcha, doctors, gotcha, professionals. Gotcha. And they were like, we need a dude to run the party day to <laughs> so day. So
0: we can like go do stuff.
1: Okay. So we can go make money. Yeah. Yeah. So they called up <gasps> Nkrumah. Oh shit. These guys were pretty conservative. Okay. They, they were certainly not socialists, but they, you know, again, they wanted independence. And Nkrumah realized this was not like, these were not his guys, right? They're not, they're not ideological bed bedfellows here, but he figured I can do some good in the fight for independence, even if it's with these guys. Sure.
0: Close enough. We'll take it.
1: So he says, yeah, let's, let's do this. Awesome. Of course, the British officials questioned him when he was leaving. (laughs) They're like, Oh, are you a communist? You know, all this sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. but they do let him go. So
0: (laughs) can you answer yes to that and still go like, like, i don't know
1: I, I mean i think he had enough plausible deniability to to just say no uh, sh-
0: i feel like a, you could always a be like number. i was just reading about it <laughs> <laughs> we can't we've we're too far gone but oh yeah
1: dave and dan know <laughs> yeah
0: they're they're aware
1: they've already written us up we probably got a very <laughs> thin file we don't have a we don't. Do have you a think f- we have a file or not
0: i don't think so
1: but they don't really keep file files anymore they just have like digital stuff you know
0: i mean i guess in that way everyone has a file true <laughs> we all have metadata but
1: <laughs> <laughs> you guys have one for listening to this um yay so uh Kwame Nkrumah becomes the general secretary of the ugcc when he gets back home in november of 1947 cool and he hits the ground running he's like yo we need to establish branches of this party colony-wide. We need to collect donations. And if people don't meet our demands, we should go on strike. Fuck yeah. The leaders of the UGCC are like, well, that's kind of a lot. But yeah, we should campaign and stuff. That sounds kind of good. you know? I like
0: the first half of that.
1: <laughs> and Nkrumah, I mean, he just, he runs with it. You know, he, he starts doing stuff. So in 1948, he addresses this group of around 63,000 World War II veterans were upset they were upset about not receiving pensions that they had been promised
0: wow yeah i'd be mad about that too
1: yeah and economic times at this point in the colony were pretty harsh uh like the 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 prices of uh crops and stuff were fluctuating a lot this was throwing people out of work it was it was a problem and so he addresses this group and then shortly thereafter they go and march on the governor's residence nice to present a petition and say hey yo pay us our pensions it's february 28th 1948 they get stopped by the colonial police who like the chief of police tells his guys like open fire on
0: them whoa okay
1: and initially the commander of the chief of the police like the guy under right under him says Mm -hmm. like no way and the guy like takes his gun (gasps) and shoot it shoots at the protesters and they just start opening fire on them
0: Okay.
1: And they kill three of these veterans and wound like 60 more people.
0: Wow. These are people that fucking fought in your war and you're going to kill them because you didn't pay them. Yeah. What the fuck?
1: Yeah. So this kicks off the Accra riots where people, you know, pretty righteously, I think rise up across the gold coast for five days, you know, attacking people and businesses and stuff to express their outrage about this. And it leads the government to arrest the leadership of the UGCC, uh, the party that Nkrumah's is leading.
0: Real quick side note, you don't see a lot of, like, I mean, you know, portrayals of, of like, African soldiers in World War II. You know, you, there's there's more movies out there than you can throw a fucking stick at, or whatever the phrase is. I don't know. Shake a stick?
1: <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Well, and And when you do, you know, when they... When they say, "Hey, in this video game, we're going to include a person of color," you have all the reactionary gamer bros come out saying, "Oh, this is a World War II game. Be accurate, even though this is like a, a game where you can hop in planes and like dogfight <laughs> in just completely unrealistic <laughs> scenarios. You can, uh-huh. can like, jump on top of the plane. All this bullshit." But they're like, "Oh no, a person of color in my World War II game? That never happened."
0: Yeah, like what are you talking about? Like it's <laughs> it not like they were invented.
1: War two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. Incredible.
1: So they arrest the leadership of the party. The, the, the popular term for this in Ghanaian history is the Big Six. These are like the founding fathers of Ghana, uh, which includes Nkrumah. Basically, they're like, mm, something popped off. We're suspecting you guys had something to do with this. Uh, and this starts Nkrumah's complicated tumble into the leadership of the Gold Coast. <laughs> uh, and the Gold Coast quick road to independence as the nation of Ghana. So we're going to try to keep it simple here. Because there's a lot of moving parts that could get weird, but okay. boil it down. <laughs> they're in jail. And this starts kind of a rift between Nkrumah and the rest of the big six who basically blame him for them being there.
0: Oh, like that was too far.
1: Yeah. They're like, come on, man. Like, why did you go in the What the fuck do they up?
0: want him to do? Like, that's, okay. You know,
1: that's what he says. The British exacerbate this rift. Uh-oh. They're jailed for like a little while and then they're, they're let go. But they exacerbate it by doing kind of a commission and saying like, "Oh, this is this wasn't Nkrumah's fault. It oh was my him." my god. And they invite the rest of the big 6 to a committee, the kusi <sighs> Committee in 1949 to draft up a new more representative constitution for the <gasps> Gold Coast.
0: Oh, but they left Nkrumah out.
1: They leave him out of the group chat, yeah. So
0: it's the big 5.
1: Yeah, it's the everybody but Nkrumah
0: <laughs> group chat. <laughs> Tragic. Um, by
1: 1949, The rift between Nkrumah and the more conservative leadership had kind of grown. He becomes more popular just with, like, the masses uh, and more independent from them, kind of like his own brand.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, a riot was started. Like, he has popular support in that way.
1: Yeah. And and he was deliberately cultivating that. He was more Mm mass-oriented, less elite-oriented like they were. Uh, he started the youth wing of the party, which Hell quickly yeah. broke away from the party and so, because they were more radical. Fuck you know, yeah. And they were like, we want immediate self-rule. So one of the differences by this point was that the UGCC was saying, we want self-rule as quickly as possible, which is pretty good. You well, know? That's not bad. But the youth wing was saying, we want it now.
0: Yeah, it does make the first one sound like, you know, when you get a chance.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you're not too busy.
1: So they were, you know, very pro-Nkrumah and urged him, form your own party, dude. Like, we like you. Like, let's do this. Uh, And he does. June 12th, 1949, he announced the creation of the Convention People's Party, the CPP.
0: Okay, great. Love it. Man, I want to found a youth socialist party and then have them become too radical for me and kick me out. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you old man, you don't know what's going on.
1: (laughs) Get out of (laughs) here. (laughs) <laughs> uh um it had some cool logo work its symbol was a red rooster
0: that's fucking rad here let me google this ccp cpp P-P. here we go oh shit this looks like a sweet beer that i want to drink
1: oh yeah
0: wouldn't that be a great beer
1: <laughs> i think so
0: yeah i don't even like beer that much but i would drink this um oh i like the slogan too forward ever backward never that's yes, catchy isn't that good that's very catchy and also oh, hold on does he have pupils in the eye or is it does he have what does he have a people in the eye of the rooster like he's like whoa or is it just like a circle
1: uh it's hard maybe. to tell isn't it it's i'm thinking that's a resolution thing maybe
0: i think so too okay because <laughs> otherwise that's a really surprised rooster <laughs> Whoa.
1: <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So they campaigned immediate self-government. They were explicitly like, like a mass party. That, that was, you know, kind of the break between him and the UGCC. November 1949, the committee, the everybody but Nkrumah committee, <laughs> reports its plans for a new constitution. Nkrumah says, this is not enough. We want immediate self-government. We want a, a constituent assembly of the people to write the new constitution instead of the British assholes doing it that's what we want to do so he launches in January 1950 him and the CPP they launch a campaign called positive action Ooh, that sounds good yeah just it sounds nice it just sounds like random acts of kindness or whatever but (laughs) what they were actually doing uh was organizing labor unions to do a general strike
0: I mean that's the kind of positive action that I like
1: Hell yeah. So they do that. <laughs> of course, violence erupts. It's unclear who started it in the sources, but I mean, you can guess, you know. I mean, who's yeah. always at the front lines?
0: <laughs> Based on the fact that they shot into a crowd earlier, protesters, like, yeah, I'm, I think I have a pretty good guess.
1: Right. Uh, the British end up arresting Krumah and other uh, party leaders of the new CPP. And sentences them to three years in prison.
0: Woof. Okay.
1: That's in January 1950. So 1951 rolls around. This is when the new constitution goes into effect, which means new election.
0: Is this the bullshit constitution?
1: Well, it's the bullshit constitution, but it was more, I mean better, more but... democratic. Okay. Uh, basically, you had an 84-member legislative assembly, 38 of whom would be elected by the people. 37 many. From tribal councils only six appointed by like basically businesses uh, and three by the governor
0: i mean wouldn't that be funny if like our you congressman should, was like more transparent about like yeah I'm, amazon, I'm represent Senator? shell or yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> Constituent from amazon please
1: stand historically that's been a good uh, insult to representatives and senators is like the oh, gentleman right. from You know, the general one from U.S. Steel or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah. But now they'd be like, oh, that's so cool. (laughs) That's literally me. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) We're the same person.
1: It was also the first to have universal suffrage instead of like these tribal council things.
0: Mm, Okay, cool, cool. I was about to ask if the universal suffrage included like women, but I'm like, it's 1950 something probably.
1: Mm, I actually did not figure that out. Uh, I know it later does like when like in actual Ghana, but I'm not for sure at this time if it did
0: okay okay unclear
1: yeah probably honestly because i think brit britain already had women already had the franchise there so yeah yeah so probably
0: Seem, seems late in the game
1: but listeners chime in correct us if we're wrong it's one Please, of my favorite things we love things. that shit <laughs> <laughs> so Nkrumah runs the party through his assistant basically at times smuggling messages from prison written on toilet paper
0: wow okay
1: and actually runs for one of the seats in Congress.
0: <laughs> I love I love a jail time campaign.
1: Yep. Uh, the party runs all over the country. They appeal to the masses. Election day, they win in a landslide. Fuck yeah. 34 of the 38 elected seats go to the CPP, including Nkrumah's uh, prison campaign. He Fuck wins.
0: Fuck yeah. Man, that's, that's impressive.
1: The British kind of realize, oh, um. Whoops all right they won he won uh we can't like just say no and keep him in prison i guess (laughs) that's going to cause some problems so they let him go wow the governor asks him to form a government
0: is this like when like in england like they do that with the prime minister like you gotta form a government
1: yeah yeah that's exactly what they're doing he's basically becoming prime minister there
0: gotcha gotcha
1: terminology wise he was actually called at first leader of government business.
0: <laughs> That's a cool name.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was like a British, the, the British governor was also prime minister, but they cooperated really well. And the next year he's like, Hey dude, Nkrumah, you take this. Like you'll be it. It's fine.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: This was still, he, so Nkrumah was in charge, but he was in charge of the gold coast. It was still a British colony, but he's in the driver's seat. Great. He starts, a. Five year plan kind of modifies the British plan of of colonial development, but tries to make it more Gold Coast focused builds and expands lots of roads and rail systems and harbors um, installs modern and uh, water and sewage systems. in most of the towns expands housing uh, builds and expands a lot of schools. Um, So, yeah, he was he was kind of, you know, doing a lot of infrastructure stuff. This is basically the path toward independence starting here. In 1954, they have a new general election because they're like, they, the British improved the constitution again. Uh, it's all directly elected. It's a bigger assembly. Basically, they have control over everything at this point but defense and foreign policy. And the CPP wins big margin again. Hell yeah. And they say, we need full independence. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. you know What are we still doing here? so the british say okay all right fine we're gonna do one more election 1956 <laughs> if you guys get a reasonable majority of the assembly that supports independence after that okay fine we'll set a date so the stakes are high they have the election surprise surprise who do you think wins
0: uh independence
1: yeah cpp yeah, they yeah win everybody again. wants
0: that even like not the socialist people like everyone wants that
1: right yeah it's it's basically the same they lose like one seat and (laughs) the british are like oh oh, okay uh sorry (laughs) (laughs) so they set a date march 6 1957 the assembly votes hey when this comes around what are we going to be called are we still gonna be the gold coast and the crew is like no that name sucks
0: it does kind of suck
1: let's be called ghana
0: okay where does that come from
1: so ghana is a reference to the medieval ghana empire from the year 300 mm. to 1100 and it means strong warrior king which is like a title for their that's rulers at the time pretty so badass. they're like hey we're the badasses basically
0: yeah that's awesome like i, ma- I made my soccer mascot the badass
1: <laughs> nice <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they they decide on that the date rolls around it's a huge celebration the whole nation's partying even a uh, vice president at the time Nixon comes what? over to attend yeah what? It's, a, it's like a worldwide celebration everybody's like whoa big time independence okay world leaders from all over not just nixon he's not the only guy
0: <laughs> that would be weird if it's just like a bunch of ghanians and then nixon <laughs> <laughs> what's up guys i heard i about heard this. you
1: like to party
0: <laughs> i'm here to party
1: <laughs> uh they changed the flag great better flag it's it's, it's pros and cons i like it better generally But the old Gold Coast one did have an elephant as a redeeming factor.
0: Mm, okay. I mean, I like the star. That's
1: cute. Oh, yeah. The Ghana one's cool.
0: Yeah. Let me see.
1: The old Gold Coast one is bad because it's like typical British colony one, but it does have an elephant.
0: Okay, let me see. Gold Coast. Oh, I do like the elephant. That's pretty sick. But it's got the
1: big stupid GC on there.
0: Yeah, that's dumb. But I love that elephant. I like his mouth being like, hey, guys
1: the gc and all that that's like giving sort of like a city flag sort of vibe
0: (laughs) yeah that bad typeface like real fucking junk
1: (laughs) so it was overall a good improvement
0: (laughs) i yeah yeah i think so
1: technically queen elizabeth ii remained the sovereign until 1960 when ghana became a republic with nkrumah as its president but all the same ghana by this point is effectively free independent hell yeah now we're going to cover his time in office. There is a ton. Okay. I mean, like he's <laughs> prime minister from 1957 until 1960 and then president from 1960 to 1966. This is similar oh, wow. to a two term U.S. president. So, okay,
0: yeah, a lot
1: too much to cover every little thing. <laughs> just the highlights. We're going to go kind of thematically overall because there's, you know, just too much to to break down chronologically it won't make sense so.
0: yeah yeah then like, he did this and then he did that then he did this
1: all right okay. <laughs> all right first we'll start though with a personal life break
0: <gasps> personal life break we really haven't
1: addressed this at all so far you know he's just been this nerd yeah
0: yeah no no romance no friends i mean friends i guess but but work friends
1: yeah so it's time for a romance
0: there we go soap opera music
1: Nakruma's is like you know i'm getting lonely I am forty-eight.
0: You know, I I like independence, but I think I'm ready for a partnership.
1: So what he does, he does as any of us would, we send our friend over to Egypt (laughs) to find a good Christian wife.
0: Sorry, what?
1: Yeah, he sends one of his friends over to Egypt. Can he go wife shopping? Find me a wife. Okay. So his friend comes back with five options.
0: Like, what is what is that uh, car or plane ride like? Like, really, it's like the bachelorette, I guess, or the bachelor in this case. <laughs> no, no, no. So he
1: doesn't bring them all back. Oh, okay, okay. I guess he brings, you know, binders full of women or something back. Uh, <laughs> brings back the report, whatever that is. Uh, and Nkrumah selects Fathia Halim Razik, a 25 year old bank worker and former teacher, uh, 23 years his junior.
0: Yeah, a little young
1: he Proposed, she accepted
0: like right away. Okay,
1: and uh, yeah, yeah. Her mother was like, Come on, like another daughter of mine is gonna leave the country <laughs> uh, for their husband or whatever. But she was like, No, he's cool, he's like a radical. Like Nasser is here, like he'll be oh, cool.
0: Okay, so she was in,
1: yeah. Uh, so she left, uh, you know, Egypt and came, flew over, arrives on New Year's Eve, and that's when they get married. The day that they wow. Um, actually meet
0: is that like common there maybe
1: it could have been i mean this okay. is st- you know uh you hear stories about this i anecdotally at least i'm sure it's a regular practice in different cultures and stuff
0: yeah that's true uh
1: but that's what they do they marry they have three children um yeah
0: okay great
1: that's really the only personal life break we have for nkrumah <laughs> and did it differently than we would have but hey there you go
0: yeah i mean He knew what he wanted and he got it
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with some help from his friend. Good friend there. A wingman, a a true (laughs) wingman. All right, let's start off with Nkrumah's ideology because this, I think will be kind of a guiding factor throughout. It's important to kind of understand what he's doing. So we already mentioned that Nkrumah believes in pan-Africanism, right? And uniting Ghana with other African nations, to stand in solidarity against capitalism and in particular against neo colonialism.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely.
1: Uh, his political thought overall is basically Marxism Leninism, but like as applied to the African situation.
0: Yeah, makes sense.
1: So this is later kind of termed Nkrumahism.
0: He got his own ism.
1: Yeah, he gets It's, it's, but it's not like he sat down and said, this isn't this Yeah, is later right? people said. Yeah, it's kind of distilling his thought into that.
0: I think Christinism would just be playing a lot of lazy video games.
1: <laughs> Greatism <laughs> would just be reading about <laughs> communism.
0: <laughs> Do you read too many YA fantasy novels and play cozy video games that aren't difficult? You may believe in Christinism.
1: <laughs> One of the ways that he writes about his political views is the ideology of a new Africa, independent and absolutely free from imperialism, organized on a continental scale, founded upon the conception of a one and united Africa, drawing strength from modern science and technology and from the traditional African belief that the free development of each is the condition for the free development of all.
0: That sounds great. I'm pro.
1: Yeah, it's got a lot of good elements to it i think it focuses on anti-colonialism on achieving independence like this is primary really to building socialism even uh that's like the main thing Mm -hmm. get your independence get your sovereignty and then start doing and seeing kind of socialism as a as a part of that
0: yeah i mean even even his like first term is kind of the government leader or whatever, he immediately got to like strengthening their infrastructure and stuff, which I think is a good move. If you are trying to move towards independence of like, all right, like let's make ourselves, let's build ourselves up so that we are not left in the lurch.
1: Yeah. I guess I wouldn't say that like one comes before the other, even it's like, these are intertwined, you know? Yes,
0: yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. And there is important. And it kind of is in that quote there, this traditional African humanist, Yeah. Uh, What's that about communalist sort of egalitarianism? So what he's saying, and this reminded me of Julius Neureri's view of it, was that uh, their particular African tribal culture in like the Ghana region uh, had these bad hierarchical elements to it. the the tribes and the chiefs, you know, uh, that was not good, but did have good egalitarian elements to it as well. Uh, That were attacked by colonialism and and kind of stripped out and Said oh you have to be alienated you have to be atomized you have to be Just individual consumers and producers and stuff and like Marx writes about how People are torn from their families and and capitalism just grinds you into this machine this cog, right?
0: Yeah, Uh, totally and it sounds like the extended family unit was like quite important culturally
1: Yeah, so what he's saying is like not in a reactionary way of let's go back to that and have just the chiefs run it again. But like, let us borrow those elements from it. That's a part of our heritage, our culture, things that we understand together. But let's use like the good parts, you know.
0: Totally. Yeah, I like that a lot.
1: And that's sort of an element that people like to distinguish is, is that Nkrumah's or Nkrumahism, maybe his ideas see reform as like a possibility in his particular region of Africa as a, as a possible way to get to socialism, basically to kind of be able to reform back toward those specific, you know, borrow those specific elements. So you're not having to wholly throw out the old society.
0: Yeah. You can reference something and say, okay, this is what it could look like. Whereas here we have to do a lot of like, well, let me explain everything. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah. It's also though, not to say that he's like anti it- violence in any form or anything like that he's he's a pragmatic he
0: started a riot so <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and even in the pan-african congress and stuff like that he was like hey one good way to achieve our independence is through like <laughs> revolution
0: <laughs> you guys thought about guns
1: <laughs> yeah so he's no pansy great people consider one of the best works of theory written by him to be neo-colonialism the last stage of imperialism
0: all right. Um, is it a book or a pamphlet or can I read this thing? Uh,
1: it is a book.
0: Ugh, okay. It was published in
1: 1965. <laughs> I'm and, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. One of the reasons that I said uh, people say is because I've only read the intro.
0: Okay, great. Um,
1: that's actually all that I have found on uh, Marxist.org. And I didn't really have the time to go dig up the whole thing. I felt, as I usually do about most intros, that it kind of boils most of it down. Hopefully, so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, But this is a deliberate, you know, play on imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism Mm -hmm. by Lenin.
0: Okay, a little fanboy action. Love it.
1: (laughs) A little TLDR about this book.
0: Yeah, tell me about this book.
1: Uh, Again, about the intro, but... Tell
0: me about this book that neither of us have read. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great book club.
1: (laughs) So basically in this he says, straight up, by force, real-ass colonialism is being replaced by economic neo-colonialism. Yeah. And he's one of kind of the coiners of this term. Uh, It had been around before, I think, Jean-Paul Sartre was the first person to use it, but he kind of popularizes it in terms of talking about, like, what was happening in Africa, right? So he says, okay, neo-colonialism, you got the periphery states. They're technically independent, but they're economically and thus politically dependent on those more powerful countries or maybe financial interests even. Mm-hmm. So basically open veins, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, our top reigning, most referenced book. <laughs> <laughs> Follow closely by dispossessed.
0: I was going to say, yeah, it's, it's a close call.
1: And so he says, okay, well, why, why is this happening? He says the main driver of this was the post-war welfare state. So capitalists used to could just pocket all the hyper-exploitation profits that they were making. But now they had to use that to fund benefits for the working class. So their margins are tighter.
0: Mm, Okay. So now they have to like squeeze out of the uh, other countries.
1: Well, now they have to be more cautious about losing money, right? Before there was never going to be a problem before. If the, if the natives got restless, you just sent in troops and you lost, you know, a little bit of money for a little bit of time, but not really that much because you were making so much, right? Gotcha, but gotcha, now gotcha. that's t- disastrous, man. If, if they rise up against you, how are you going to afford that? You're already barely making anything because you have to give so much of it to the working class.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: So with that and with the ever-increasing rise of nationalism in the colonized territories, direct colonialism was just going to be too expensive, so they have to shift, right? They have to say, okay, we're going to do neocolonialism. Leave it up to the <laughs> businesses. We'll still make the money. We won't have to be as gun in your face about it. Easy. He also writes in this intro that uh, anti-communism was important to this project uh, because it's basically trying to tear down any viable alternative to neocolonialism. The Thatcher phrase of there is no alternative, it's, that's deliberately designed Mm. by the imperialist powers they're they're attacking
0: the other option forward they're saying right. "Well, you can't do that like you have to take this crappy aid package
1: right yeah exactly uh, and this is because of like a fundamental contradiction neo-colonialism has to pretend that it's there to raise your living standards and be nice and everything right just like the old colonists had to pretend that they were there for the white man's burden to uplift people <laughs> out of backwardness and all this right but they actually have to keep living standards depressed to, like, make money. So they can't do what they're promising to do. And like you said about aid, this is why foreign aid fails, because it really can't go into things that would build up countries, because then they rival <laughs> the master's uh, profit and power and everything, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's purposefully giving them just enough to survive, but not enough to thrive. Like, again, a, a, a macro uh level of what we experience as workers under capitalism like this is just that but pumped up to affect like
1: entire countries and the same i think that same parallel holds well too because he makes the argument that gradually you kind of even move away from any sort of aid but military aid
0: yeah it's like you
1: don't want to build up rival manufacturing you don't want to even build up education because maybe they the students start a movement or something so it just goes to the military, you know, and that's really the only the only way that these guys will pump money in.
0: And that's how you see like a lot of like corrupt militaries in these sorts of of colonial areas.
1: Yeah. He's he's saying that this is it's not going directly to the people. It's going to kind of the puppet governments that the neocolonialists control. Yep. Another part of this project is keeping... The periphery country is too small to be viable you know to, to be self-sufficient um too small to resist military interventions too small to be an economic rival at all right just carve them all up oh you're independent right but you're like this little bitty like, guy what are you gonna be- do about it exactly so his thing is pan-africanist to counter this right we're gonna band together we if, if we africa we're fucking big man we could yeah we could take these guys on we could dictate prices we could form our own market we could build our own military force these guys wouldn't fuck with us basically
0: yeah for sure
1: yeah and his, his final argument is kind of like some people say oh what if we just like do a welfare state for the whole world you know and he's kind of like yeah that'd be nice wouldn't it <laughs> but, but basically you're gonna have to win your freedom you know you're gonna have to stand up you're gonna have to fight and that's what i think we should do So that's the summary of the intro of (laughs) (laughs) neocolonialism, the last stage of imperialism.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: I think that kind of sets up overall, we have a, with all that, a good picture of his ideology, where he's coming from. Gotcha. All right, so let's start his policies now. Starting with education. What's he do? Sets up a six-year primary course, making it compulsory in 1962. Uh, he cuts funding to religious schools, uh, and the government takes over some of the missionary schools. So, you know, centralizing it, I guess. He built an expanded technical education and started a young pioneers group. Everyone's <gasps> favorite.
0: Yay, the pins. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right. That's really all I got for education there. Pretty good. Next up, health care. When he starts out as prime minister of the Gold Coast, he had three health centers in the entire country.
0: That's not very many.
1: Or I guess at the time, the colony. Yeah, virtually no preventative medicine. By 1960, they built 20 more health centers, and they were in the process of building 23 more.
0: Wow, okay.
1: These provided health education. They treated minor ailments. They had midwives. They had sanitary inspectors. They had nurses. And they were led by health teams that were, like, led by a doctor. All of this... Entirely funded through taxes.
0: Hell yeah. Taxes are.
1: USA can't get it together. Ghana could get it together in 1960. What the hell? He also built training schools for nurses, uh, modernized hospitals, and built a new mental hospital. So yeah, overall, I think a good record on healthcare. All right, what about feminism? How'd he do? Overall, uh, he was pro feminist. Uh, favored increasing women's role in the government in the workplace and in society overall great yeah Uh, they formed the ghana women's league which promoted nutrition and parenting tactics a little stereotypical but you know it's 1960s yeah but also uh they demonstrated against french nuclear weapons testing in the sahara
0: whoa that's like really specific That's a lot of different places and topics.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nutrition, parenting tactics, nuclear weapons testing.
0: Yeah. You know, this is the usual.
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, All in a day's work. Uh, He also, the, the CPP promoted women to its central committee. Very cool. So it was not like stratified or whatever. They designated positions in parliament to be held by women. Like that was codified in law. Uh, and increased women's enrollment in university, as well as participation in the workforce and even the armed forces. So I think overall, a pretty good feminism record there.
0: Good grades on women. Good job. Moving on (laughs) to the next category.
1: Next category, culture and media.
0: Ooh, interesting.
1: So, uh, government started the Ghana museum, the research library on African affairs, the Arts Council of Ghana, an Institute of African Studies, the Ghana Film Corporation, the Ghana News Agency, uh, the Ghanaian Times, and the Ghana Broadcasting Corporation.
0: Wow, okay. A full media suite. However you get your info.
1: Yeah. So they were, you know, I mean, building a lot of this. Some of it they inherited and were kind of building on, but a lot of it they were ground up, you know?
0: This is very, uh, side note, but... I've been traveling more lately and I just want to give a shout out to museums and going to them by yourself because you can take all the time you want to read the plaques.
1: Don't you feel like a little social pressure when you're with other people to like, I don't want to hold anyone up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're like, okay, let me scan really fast.
1: They're not like (laughs) rushing you at all. They probably wouldn't care, but you're still like, "Mm."
0: No, but by yourself, you can just fucking sit there. You can have a moment with the art if you want to.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All the media, by the way, was ad free nice uh just like this podcast by the way but you know (laughs) it would be nice if all our other media were too
0: oh god yeah uh
1: the newspapers were state run uh they were pro party yeah um so if you're more of a you know i don't know publicly run or like independent media sort of person if that that may rub you the wrong way
0: i could see it being icky yeah
1: so, I mean, it's one of those things where like, oh, it's it's good if they're right, I guess. But
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, that, that. that's <laughs> the thing is like, is the party run by the people, I guess, is the question. So,
1: yeah. And then still, why not just let the people do it themselves directly instead of that's through the party? That's true. Maybe. Let's, let's see. We've got some W's. Let's take a look at a potential L here. Uh-oh. Uh, crushing dissent.
0: Oh, no. Okay. I wasn't expecting that.
1: So, from early on, Nkrumah faced opposition from various groups. Losers? uh, From various
0: losers. (laughs) And
1: he didn't really appreciate it very much. That was his sort of reaction was like, ah, these losers. Uh," uh, And he was not very lenient in his response to it.
0: Okay, great. What did he do? So, uh,
1: let's take a look at a few examples here. One, in 1957, Nkrumah passed a law called the Avoidance of Discrimination Act.
0: All right. That sounds good.
1: Sounds pretty good. Um, what he was really doing here was banning regional or tribal political parties. So he couldn't be like, oh, we're the this tribe political party or we're the this region political. You can't do that. Basically saying, you know, oh, that would be very divisive. And the reason being was that these guys were stirring up unrest. Sometimes, though, they were like protesting government policies and stuff. And he didn't like that.
0: OK, that's not great.
1: It's 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 not Um, one of the things, (laughs) though, to look at is that the chiefs were pretty bitter. Uh, The chiefs were used to calling the shots. They were basically disenfranchised out of, you know, they were just regulars. Now, this new popular government was challenging their former authority. So they kind of were acting out in a way, you know. So, yeah, it did kind of crack down on the freedom, I think. But this may have that may have been kind of like justified ish. I don't know i could see the reasoning for that
0: they wanted to fuck some shit up so like we can't just let them right it's a reactionary group
1: and yeah a reactionary and a powerful group it's not like he's picking Mm -hmm. on oh a little old me like you're a chief bro like (laughs) so yeah they weren't used to that you know they the government also went through the list of chiefs basically and said okay who's a party supporter they're great who's not we're going to de-stool them we're going okay. to make them no longer chiefs so they're wow. i mean they're still around they're just not chiefs anymore
0: okay okay not bad so
1: they were like oh that's terrible this is heavy-handed the government's coming in you know bad so eh, whatever controversial
0: i mean the chiefs were a very hierarchical thing that like yeah. i'm not into so it's fine if you get de-chiefed
1: i think so that's where i would fall on that part um but it may have ruffled feathers more than it needed to maybe but um on the other hand probably some people were like great that chief was an asshole you know <laughs> the guy so, sucked uh one thing that riled a lot of people up was uh, the preventive detention act
0: i don't think i'm gonna like this one that's not a great name
1: so yeah this is in 1958 uh there was a suspected assassination plot against nkrumah Ooh. There were five actual assassination attempts in the course of his rule. So many that I'm really not even going to cover all of them.
0: Uh, yeah. How many did old you know, US of A or the UK, uh, any Any familiar faces there?
1: It's unclear. There's there's nothing really that says, oh, we think this one was the CIA. Mm-hmm. But they're going to come into play later.
0: <laughs> okay, great. I knew they'd show up eventually.
1: Yeah. I w- I wouldn't leave them out. <laughs> really, they wouldn't leave themselves out. Unfortunately. That's true.
0: They can't help themselves.
1: <laughs> so there's a suspected assassination plot against him. Nkrumah gets the party to pass the Preventive Detention Act, which let the government imprison people for up to five years without charges or a
0: trial. Mm. Man, and okay, I made fun about the name earlier like you know how all laws have like a really patriotic or like nice sounding name they couldn't even bother to come up with a nice name for that one they're like no <laughs> we're just gonna throw people in jail
1: yeah this is um the throw you in jail before you do something <laughs> act
0: <laughs> that's really bad okay uh, that's yeah. a that's a loss for me that's an l
1: that's a strike
0: Mm-hmm. that's a strike I'm, oh you know what i'm opening the note stock <laughs> okay strike one I wrote "strike," which is not a word.
1: Strike. You're one. a communist, and you don't know how to spell "strike."
0: That's <laughs> not good. <laughs> uh, I'm like Joe Biden, a staunch union supporter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> They're getting ready to just Ugh. force people to accept an agreement. That's so wild.
0: What was the name of this law? Preventative jail. Preventive.
1: It's so it's preventive, like preventative medicine. No, but preventive. Oh.
0: Okay.
1: I misspelled it that way. I didn't know there
0: was a difference. I feel stupid.
1: Me neither. And I still don't really know why there is
0: a difference. All right. Grammar nerds, get at
1: us. (laughs) Use of this law ramped up, especially in the final years of Nkrumah's time in government. It perhaps was one of the things that kind of agitated people toward being okay with him eventually getting overthrown. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, so another thing he did in 1962, there was another suspected assassination plot. Okay. This one. So there's five real ass ones that like someone shoots or or does a bomb or something. Then there's suspected ones. And I don't really have any info uh, like sources or anything that say like whether the suspected ones were actually real or imagined. But there's another, you know, there's another suspected assassination plot in 1962
0: who are these people that are doing this? Like, it's just, is it old guard people or like
1: there's old guard, there's tribal forces, there's, uh, opposition parties Mm -hmm. or would be, uh, that sort of thing. Okay. Nkrumah proposed a constitutional amendment in response to this, uh, to give the president the power to remove judges at all levels. What happened was they put the guy on trial for maybe trying to assassinate nkrumah and they found him not guilty
0: and so nkrumah was
1: like that's bullshit he obviously tried to assassinate me changed the constitution now i can remove the judges get a better judge in there and find him guilty
0: i thought you were gonna be like he changed it so the the president has like a full suit of armor paid for by the people
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's walking around in fallout power armor (laughs)
0: yeah yeah like i need some more protection here in
1: 1964 this kind of escalated nkrumah proposed an amendment to make the cpp the only legal party
0: whoops
1: uh, with nkrumah as president for life
0: okay that's another strike for me
1: what about the only legal party like one party states this is pretty common cuba does that we support them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. But
1: maybe we support them without supporting that. Is that where your stance is?
0: I don't like the president for life thing.
1: Well, let me, yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to pin you down on the record. Mm-hmm. One party state <laughs> or no.
0: <laughs> I know, so that's always hard for me. I think, again, it depends how cool your party is. If you got a really healthy democratic system in your party structure, sure, I don't fucking care. You can call yourselves whatever the fuck you want. You can say we're one party, you can say you're a hundred parties. But... If you don't, then it's a problem.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's pretty good. If you have internal party democracy, right?
0: Yeah, because then it just it almost just becomes a meaningless label of like, yeah, we're all fucking Cubans, like we're part of the Cuba party, you know? Like that's Mm -hmm. not what it's called, but you know what I mean. Like it's of course you're in the party, like you participate. It just means I participate in government
1: on some level. And see, for me, I you know if I were running things, I guess I would be like, it's fine if we have multiple parties. I guess. But you would have to agree on some ground rules, kind of like American government does. Honestly, yeah, like we're all they're all fucking capitalists, you know.
0: Yeah, they all agree on that.
1: If you're going to be a political party in this in this state, you have to be socialists. You have to uphold you know these particular values. You can argue about like the details, mm-hmm. but then at that point, you're basically just doing factionalism, right? Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. I'd be fine with it. I do like the aspect of like not having to go to big huge you know like we do horrible <laughs> elections and and big fights and everything and all this nonsense
0: uh, yeah i i think i'm a little more parliamentary in that like either one party or like 10 or something you know
1: mm, <laughs> like yeah, sure okay. like
0: we don't need to just because two i feel like yeah you're asking for some some headaches but like <laughs> i think i i'm more interested almost like in vietnam they have those like what are they called they're not parties. They're like the, interest. The mass groups. organizations. Yeah, maybe that's what maybe I'm thinking of. Like something like that would be cool. Because right. my my thought with having multiple parties, or in this case, mass organizations, is like you get more voices in the room. You get more representation. You get see people be like, hey, we haven't thought about this thing. that like, I'm very yeah. familiar with.
1: Okay, so you're a mass orgs boy. All I right. think I am. All right, got it. So yeah, one legal party, Nkrumah, president for life.
0: Mm, should I strike it?
1: I mean you're welcome to I'm not going to ever fault somebody for for striking a president for life thing just banning for the ego like
0: yeah like really what what happens you know if you I don't know get hit on the head and I don't know that just seems bad
1: yeah I mean oh me if it were me I would want the continued validation I would always want to go out I wouldn't want to be president for life because then I don't know if people still like me I want to go out there every time Get yeah, like ninety percent of the vote, and it's oh damn, like, yeah, everyone still loves it. me. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you say that as a joke, but it does make you more in tune with the masses if you have to go out there and and be accountable to them every time. I'm not saying electoralism is perfect or anything; God knows sure. it's not, but it's something. Whereas president for life is like you could go full on evil, and we won't fucking know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. The vote on the referendum on this amendment uh was 99.9% passed. Um wow. I mean maybe there, it was actually passed with a pretty high margin. Maybe even that margin who technically knows. Hmm. But that does look pretty suspicious.
0: That is a little sus. That's a heaven question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did Kwame Nkrumah president for life in Ghana actually?
0: God's like, "Hold on, I actually have to google this one cuz like no one ever asks this." <laughs> usually it's like more deep stuff than that this is but the okay first time that it's always either jfk or what's the meaning of life but okay let me look in the books for this <laughs>
1: there one. are two kinds of people in this room.
0: <laughs> are you a jfk person or meaning <laughs> of life
1: all right we had some downsides there it's one happens to everybody that's okay next up foreign policy all right foreign policy we said his ideology pan-africanism all right, so he supports international cooperation with other African nations. In December 1958, Ghana hosted the All African Peoples Conference, which was a meeting of heads of state, of social groups, political parties, labor unions, really any anti-colonial groups throughout Africa. Uh, their goal was to work toward independence for colonized nations, to strengthen the already independent states, and to resist neocolonialism. They would meet two more times in 1960 and 1961.
0: Okay. I'm glad he continued that work and wasn't just like, bye, suckers. I got my independence.
1: (laughs) See you later. (laughs) Right. Yeah. He was really about that, like spreading that throughout Africa. November 1959, they hosted the All-African Trade Union Federation to kind of coordinate labor movements throughout Africa. April 1960, they hosted the Positive Action and Security in Africa Conference. Uh, this was to coordinate about a few uh pressing matters in 1960 which was the algerian war of independence where they were fighting for their freedom from france also what to do about apartheid south africa
0: i was about to ask yeah
1: and again that uh nuclear weapons testing by france in the sahara
0: damn france can you chill with those please
1: yeah, no, people like to think, oh, progressive France over here, they're very mm-hmm. nice, they have baguettes, they're <laughs> they're peaceful people. They are a nuclear state still.
0: Oh, gosh. Still?
1: Yeah, they still have nuclear weapons. Jesus, okay. I don't think they intend to do anything with them, but, you know, a <laughs> relic of when they once, you know, did, mm-hmm. they were bad boys. Yeah. Uh, November 1958, I put that in the wrong chronological order, I guess I should have put that before. <laughs>
0: That's fine. We're jumping around. It's by category.
1: Yeah, it is in the correct theme. So Ghana teamed up with Guinea to create the Union of African States, which was a, uh, yeah, it was a regional organization intended to eventually develop a common currency and a unified foreign policy.
0: Wow. Okay. So like a a Euro, like an EU, but for Africa. Yeah, sort of. It was open
1: to all other independent african states it does not go as far as it you know was dreaming of um they, they never do develop a common currency they never do develop a unified foreign policy only Mali joins in 1961 so it's really you know does it really doesn't amount to what they were dreaming of
0: well dang hey i mean they're making these i mean the the trade organization and this any fuckery happening? Because that seems like some stuff that some people wouldn't like. What do you mean? I don't know. Seems like maybe like some bad guys would be like, we got to stop this.
1: Oh, they're already like not liking this. Um, <laughs> the British were already, by 1961, talking with the U.S. about different ways they could destabilize slash maybe do a coup.
0: Yeah, okay. You know,
1: that's already happening in the background
0: okay i just figured you're going after trade which we discussed is an important element of neocolonialism so yeah
1: yep rest assured yeah you're nefarious actors they are definitely lurking in the shadows
0: all right they're around
1: yeah the cia had a um operation like a station ha- like a headquarters i guess you know a, mm-hmm. a station in accra the capital of, of ghana another thing that Kruma did was form what was called the Casablanca Group. It's just a movie club. They watch Casablanca yeah, they just, every...
0: Yeah, <laughs> we love this movie. We like getting on planes dramatically. We like piano players.
1: Here's looking at you, kid. Yeah. Have you ever seen this movie?
0: I think I did. Long, I saw it like in a high school film class. Uh, I don't remember it. I was kind of dicking around, I think. And stuff. I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I didn't... I don't think I liked it that much because I don't remember it.
1: I want to watch it at some point. It's one of those things, you know, Citizen Kane or something. You gotta watch
0: Yeah, it, yeah. Guess, Citizen Kane was actually pretty good if I recall
1: I didn't like Citizen Kane, but
0: Oh, okay, okay. I mean it is about just, like a rich taste. dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, all right. So Casablanca group, it was Ghana, Guinea, and Mali, as we mentioned before, those three friends. Uh, but you also had Algeria, Egypt, Libya, Morocco, and a lot an alliance of nations with kind of broad spectrum left wing leaders who were pan-Africanists.
0: So this is a different group than the other one?
1: Yes. Yeah, this is a broader group than that. Uh, They wanted to form... Their goal, their end goal, was to form a supranational, like an above the national level, pan-African kind of authority to fight colonialism. So like you were saying, an EU, that that sort of a thing. Okay, cool. Um, In 1963, they united with another group of nations... They were also sort of pan-Africanist, but they were less about, like, really joining. They were less about that supranational super thing. And they were more like, let's keep our own countries, but let's team up. They were called the Monrovia group. But anyway, they, they allied together. They combined to form the Organization of African Unity, the OAU. Uh, this encouraged political and economic integration to eradicate neocolonialism from Africa.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. I'm pro
1: yeah no it's interesting because it's does have these really good goals they do some coordinating with each other about various issues but they don't really have any power behind them they don't have any sort of military force any sort of binding on the different nations so anything they talk about is really just talk it doesn't actually you know play out it's a lot less effective i guess than they thought it might be yeah okay but it's kind of cool interesting Nkrumah's Ghana gave military support to rebel forces who were fighting the white minority government in Rhodesia, which is modern day Zimbabwe.
0: Okay, yeah, I did not know where that was. I I just said great as if I'm like, yeah, sure. Wherever that Mm -hmm. is, I'm for it.
1: No, that's good. (laughs) Uh, This was like southern Rhodesia before. And when it looked like there was going to be, uh, you know, decolonization because it was a British colony at the time, decolonization and like the transition to black majority rule. The white people there, or some of them, because not all of them were like this, but still, unilaterally declared independence and Whoa. just said, we're going to be a Rhodesia now. We're ruled by uh, a white minority government.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> Ghana was like, fuck that. We're uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, that supporting
1: sucks. the rebels against that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, some of these, this is interesting. Some sources say this. They're very anti-Necrumah sources so I'm hesitant with them, but there's several, so but not all sources mention it. That um some of the training involved in, in the in these forces and everything might have had like help from China or coordination with China or like secret um like Chinese camps that were helping train them or something. This may have been an element of it. From my perspective that makes it a little more badass, but yeah, that sounds I think cool. it, I suspected of being an anti-communist smear, but I don't Uh know. So, I mean,
0: like, it doesn't matter. Like, they're doing a good thing, so I don't care.
1: (laughs) So, whatever. (laughs) Okay. Maybe it's false. Maybe it's not. Ultimately, I guess that leads to the next thing is that his foreign policy was pretty pro-communist.
0: Yeah, sounds like it.
1: He toured Eastern Europe, the Soviet Union, the People's Republic of China, proclaimed solidarity with them. Uh, he was awarded the Lenin Peace Prize in 1962.
0: That's always a good list.
1: Yeah. If that were still around, I would obviously be campaigning for it, but
0: <laughs> nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Give us the Lenin Peace Prize in your hearts, please.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Make us a fake trophy or a pin, even better. Oh, you know, a, I pin. Love
1: a pin. Yeah. So that's foreign policy. Now, time for economics. What do you do? So Nkrumah's plan was for rapid industrialization. We want to escape the dependence on neocolonial powers, build up the country fast. He did like year plans, you know, sometimes it was 10, sometimes it was seven. The year number kind of changes, but uh, classic social estate. Yeah, of. yeah. <laughs> Do a year. Plan economy. Yeah. The goal was to develop manufacturing, create public corporations, state enterprises, whatever, to get it done. Uh, one part of this was rent control. I thought this was kind of, a popular measure was that tenant farmers had to rent their land um, from the chieftains and everything. So they capped, you know, the rent. they were like, you can't fucking gouge these guys anymore. It's not good. I don't think it's full on your favorite thing, land reform. That probably would have been a better step, honestly. But uh, it was an improvement, you know.
0: I mean, hey, I'd love some rent capping in the States right now. That'd be great. <laughs>
1: almost every everyone who isn't a landlord agrees with you i think <laughs> Mm-hmm. or a bootlicker uh more economics here ghana's main export was cocoa like uh cocoa like like the, the
0: like the beans like what
1: you make chocolate out of you yeah, know?
0: yeah yeah i never know how to say because there's like cocoa well, there's and cacao. And
1: i think it's the same coca, thing
0: and i'm like i don't know what coca is different. Are. that's I like think cacao cocaine, and cocoa right? is the same yeah yeah okay
1: So that was its main export and Nekrumah was able to double the production of that, which was great. They raked in a lot of money. Prices were really high in the fifties and the early sixties. Things were great. Instead of like letting the farmers keep that profit, the government just sort of taxed that away to use on things they were spending it on, which was great for like spending on things, uh, pretty bad for like, keeping the farmer support, they were kind of upset. Yeah. They were one of the main groups that, that brought Nakruma to power in the first place.
0: Oh, that sucks. But I, I bet they like, did their trade deals improve though? Because they weren't like, were they able to manufacture stuff, I guess too? Like, and, and like, cause with, with like chocolate and like coffee and those other kinds of goods, usually like the raw goods are sent somewhere else for processing and they make way more of the money.
1: So the industrializing part was still mm, growing. Okay. It really okay. was still like the economy, even to the end of his time in government, is still really largely focused on export of cocoa. It doesn't quite get to the level he's trying to aim it at, uh, but, he, but he's aiming for it. The other downside to this is that those prices that are, rake, that are raking in and everything, they're not going to last. Uh, In 1964, world cocoa prices started to drop severely, like a fifth of what they were before.
0: Oh, shit. Okay.
1: Like, basically tanking their finances at a time when they really didn't need that to be happening. That'll come into play later when they're trying to deal with this next section, which is about energy. Ooh, okay. All right. So, the big, the centerpiece of Nkrumah's economic program was to build the Akosombo Dam on the Volta River. Uh, It was going to provide water for irrigation, and it was going to be a hydroelectric dam that would produce, you know, enough to electrify the country and to industrialize it. Hell yeah. All right. I remember uh, Lenin said, you know, communism is uh, the, the Soviets plus electrification you know that's that's what is that a thing this was one of lenin's things initially when they were in in you know i mean just taking power and everything they're like one of the we have to electrify the country this is our main goal is basically saying interesting uh we've got to do this to basically to be legitimate to 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 win the people it's a huge goal of nkrumah's to modernize his country to industrialize it to be able to fight back against the neocolonial powers the most important part of this was going to be A building a new aluminum industry. Aluminum at the time, like now we're like, okay, big deal. Aluminum. Who cares? (laughs) But that was like the wonder metal at the time. It was like going to make you a ton of money if you could build an aluminum industry. Be your economic engine. So what he'd have to do is build new plants. Building aluminum is actually a two-step process. So you got to get bauxite. You can dig this shit out the ground. Bauxite. Okay. Okay. And then you got to refine that bauxite ore into alumina, and then you got to smelt that alumina into aluminum, or as the British say, aluminum. (laughs) Aluminium. So two steps, bauxite to alumina, and then alumina to aluminum. You get this. You have an aluminum industry. You go out and you make your money. Great. Right? The only problem here was funding. Uh-oh. All right. Uh, This was going to be pretty expensive to do. Build the dam. Build these factories.
0: Yeah, that does sound like a lot.
1: Lots of money, lots of technical expertise that they don't have. How are we going to do it? So, me, you know, how do they say nowadays? You know, me personally, I would have gone maybe to the Soviet Union, see if they had a good deal for Mm me. But this is not what Nkrumah does. Uh Uh-oh, what does he do? He goes to the United States.
0: That's like the last person you want to go to.
1: Yeah, um, this was formerly a British project okay and he's kind of taking it over and saying this is a great idea this is going to be the way we do it and i don't really know why he doesn't approach the soviets
0: yeah he's friends with them
1: the, the way he approaches the united states is actually sort of by accident uh one of his uh, the project the initial british sort of backing of it fell through uh the british did no longer really wanted to have anything to do with expensive projects in their former colonies <laughs> because of the Suez crisis in 1956 where they they basically invaded Egypt to because Egypt was nationalizing the Suez Canal.
0: Ah, and okay. They had
1: to back down from that. So that loss was just like fuck it, we're not doing it anymore. But his uh one of his government ministers was traveling in the United States to give a speech, I want to say. He was just, like, on a speaking tour or something. Uh, He gets discriminated against in some Delaware Howard Johnson's and goes to the press to talk about it afterward. And the White House is like, does this, like, apology, like, (laughs) Eisenhower, does this, like, apology, like, invite, like, hey, come talk to the president, like, sorry, you're you're a fucking diplomat. that shouldn't have happened. We weren't racist to the right people. (laughs) (laughs) And so that kind of gets their foot in the door and he's like oh yeah i mean we have this damn project we think it's good like and so they hook him up basically and they, they start talking
0: interesting
1: so it's a little bit by chance goes to the united states for financial help and they agree to hook him up with friend of the show kaiser aluminum
0: oh that can't be good right
1: no this is a titan of industry <laughs> they're like it's a spinoff of. It's all comes from the same guy, Kaiser. But th- if you've heard of Kaiser Permanente, these are the same dudes. Like Permanente, that's, that's like a health yeah, yeah. care company or something.
0: Yeah, I've seen their buildings is, around.
1: Yeah, this is all that's. Oh same, no. same guy that founded okay, so all evil. of this shit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> super evil is right. Um, <laughs> very charitable from other descriptions, but <laughs>
0: sure. Okay.
1: <laughs> they give a pittance of what they've robbed. Anyway. They agree to partially fund the dam project, and then Ghana would have to go get loans from the World Bank to cover the remainder of it.
0: No, this sucks. Drop this thing like a hot fucking potato.
1: But how else is he going to electrify his country?
0: Fucking talk to the Soviet Union. Talk to China if you apparently were maybe secretly talking with them earlier. Like, you have options.
1: <laughs> China's difficult to do. Um, they're, I think at this point, just recovering from the uh, Great Leap Forward. That's true. That's true. And I, I, don't know, I probably could have approached them. They may have found, you know, some some ways of helping you. Soviet Union, definitely, I think that was a missed opportunity or...
0: Okay, you, you could talk to your other pals in Africa and try to work out a deal of like, hey, you help us build this dam. You can use some of the power or you can use some of the aluminum, something, you know?
1: Yeah. Nkrumah did not do any of those. Oh so God. he says, we're going to do this we're going to get this funding. And, and right now we're already saying, what the fuck? Like, how can you possibly come out ahead? So here's the thinking from both sides. So Ghana's plan. Let's get the Americans to finance the dam.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, I love using white guilt to get money too, but <laughs> this, this money comes with strings. I bet
1: it does, but we're thinking we can still get around it. Okay. Cause we're going to, what we're going to do, we're going to get the Americans to finance the dam. They're going to build a bauxite refinery to use our bauxite to refine it they're gonna build an alumina smelting plant okay so they're gonna build all of what we need for an aluminum industry and they're gonna feed those with our electricity that they buy from us
0: okay and
1: with our bauxite that they buy from us
0: that's not terrible this is
1: money we're gonna get money and once they've built up that baby big enough profitable enough We can come in and nationalize the whole thing. And we've got ourselves a little working aluminum industry that we can copy all parts of it and build up and build up. And that's going to be what the steel industry was to the U.S. That's going to be ours. Boom.
0: Okay. Good luck.
1: That's what they're thinking. What, uh, why are the capitalists doing this? You know, what's Kaiser aluminum going to get from this? What's the U.S. going to get from this is this. We're going to finance the dam. Now I've switched we's now. We're the U.S. again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bad guys. Uh, We're going to finance the dam we're going to get guaranteed discounts on the electricity. All right, our thinking is Ghana's going to accept because they are probably planning to nationalize this later. So they're going to take this loss knowing that they're going to get the win in the end.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: All right, so they're going to guarantee us cheap rates of electricity. Then when when the t- you know, we're financing the dam and everything, when it comes mm-hmm. time to build the plants, we're only going to build the alumina smelting plant. We're not, not going to do the... the bauxite thing. Fuck, okay why we're just going to import the alumina we need (sighs) we're going to do that and then what are these guys going to do we are smelting using their cheap electricity and exporting it and there's nothing for them to nationalize it's missing a puzzle piece yeah who do you think succeeds in getting their plan they do they're able to pull it off they're able to basically swindle Gone out of what they were doing i guess kind of a counter swindle both of them were trying to swindle
0: well yeah but like one of them is for the people evil. yeah yeah one of them's for the
1: people one of them for kaiser the Aluminum. kaiser
0: hey is kaiser at all related to like the german kaiser
1: i think it's just a dude's last name
0: okay okay
1: <laughs> they get 80 percent of the power generated from the dam this is like in a written guarantee we get 80 percent. you guys get 20 percent.
0: we being the united states
1: yeah the the Kaiser Aluminum, their plant, their smelting plant, gets 80% of the power generated by the dam for a cut rate price that was locked in for 30 years.
0: Fuck. That sucks. Any price that's locked in for 30 years sucks.
1: They would eventually renegotiate it in like the 80s, but...
0: Okay, but um, still, that had to be dirt cheap even when it was started.
1: Yeah. They also got to pay no taxes in Ghana for 10 years. Okay fuck this. Uh, they also got another 30 years. After that 10 years, they would get another 30 years of a capped tax rate. Like, you can't tax us more than this, you know?
0: Well, I'm, this is strike three, guys. <laughs> shitty. Oh, I'm still on all caps.
1: Shitty damn deal.
0: Shitty. That shitty damn deal. <laughs> <laughs> that never made that shitty damn deal.
1: They also were exempt from import duties for 30 years.
0: He fucking handed over your aluminum industry. He said, here you go.
1: They took everything. Well, yeah, they failed yeah. to get that aluminum industry that they could nationalize mm-hmm. the opening ceremony for the dam was january 22nd 1966 i mean he was still trying to bill it as like yeah this is going to be the future yeah. and everything but when he found out there wasn't going to be that bauxite refinery it was like a crushing blow it was like fuck this is not a, th- this deal keeps getting worse all the time you know
0: yeah th- okay why couldn't he refuse this deal like us and be like this is a shitty deal
1: Well, at this point, he's thinking that maybe, I mean, maybe something will change. Maybe we can, once the dam is built, they can't unbuild it. They can't, they're not going to bomb it. So once it's there, maybe we can start, I don't know, Negotiate. He's very hopeful at that point. He's like, maybe we can do something. Maybe we can find something to pull on them to get them to, to get this to be ours. You know, I think he was desperate. I think so. Like a kind of a sunk cost almost. One last thing to kind of cover before we get into the the decline is corruption and it kind of feeds into Uh-oh. this is that uh with this rush to rapidly industrialize as the dam's getting built and and they're starting to say hey we're going to be electrified we're going to have all this uh many foreign industries start flooding in with approaches saying like oh what if we come build this what if we come build Fuck. that it's like,
0: like you took that shitty deal you want ours
1: right and the easiest way to get through um to the like the finance ministers and, and people with power was basically just to bribe them wow which they okay. did in huge numbers so they would pay these bribes to the government and then, and then these government ministers would issue these huge contracts and, and everything for stupid shit they'd be like hey come make snow over there in fucking africa like the, what like you're gonna use and you know these guys would be like that's great i'm getting a kickback from it. i don't care what so, the fuck yeah this was depleting government reserves like crazy final days you know his my finance minister is coming to him like we have like five hundred thousand dollars in the bank
0: oh my god
1: he's like what did you leave off some zeros and he's like nah man we're we're like fucking broke
0: what the fuck okay
1: and various ministers were you know routinely driving around fancy cars fancy clothes rampant corruption i think this is something that he should have done i don't think he was personally corrupt one of those things but the people under him he should have been more on that
0: yeah what the hell use your crazy jail rule on those guys
1: but they were loyal in a way whatever they said the right things to whom (laughs) yeah i think that's not really loyal if you're saying the right things but doing something entirely different sad chapter here the coup not the cool jamming kind but
0: I mean, he's fucked up a lot. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm sure. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure, but it's possible I will not like the. What's the opposite of predecessor? Successor. Hmm, successor.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm you sure won't. I,
0: okay, great. Yeah, I figured. you not going to like that. But, okay. All right. But still, he is fucking up pretty hard.
1: January 1966, we're celebrating the damn February 1966. We're going to visit North Vietnam. Oh, We're going to okay. stop in China real quick and then go to North Vietnam. While he's gone on this trip, the military, the cops, uh, and technocrats within the government are going to lead a coup against him.
0: Wow. Looks like all my least favorite people.
1: (laughs) All right. What are the factors of this? One, economic problems in the country. So there's lots of debt caused by the dam, that whole fiasco. There's corruption, like we said. There's also shortages of things. Uh, some of the civil service like those technocrats or whatever thought that Ghana should be less pro-communist and more pro-western to try to improve this was gonna you know oh kickstart things oh we'll be rich like the west Sure. that sort of
0: not realizing the shitty deal they just made was from the west
1: right (laughs) okay but overall these economic problems made the population more upset at the government and more ready to go along with the coup once it happens he also had those government restrictions, uh, people chafing at one party rule, lots of people disliking the rampant use of the preventive detentions.
0: Yeah, that sucks. Uh,
1: so that's another factor, I think, that made people more accepting of when the coup happens. Like, oh, okay, like, let's give it a <laughs> shot.
0: <laughs> I get it.
1: All right. Uh, what about the cops? Why are the cops in on this? Because they suck, but... Because like, they suck, yeah. But why? Uh, <laughs> so one... Uh, stems from an assassination attempt
0: oh okay so a,
1: a cop tried to assassinate nkrumah in 1964 mm-hmm. uh, he shot and killed his bodyguard instead Ooh. and this led nkrumah to disarm the cops Whoa. Uh, he also got parliament to give him the power to hire and fire police officers as he saw fit
0: wow individually
1: yeah that was a big kind of line he crossed i guess with them Another one that I had to find kind of like deep deeper in there, but it was a funny find, is that the police commissioner and his second-in-command had been accused of diamond smuggling. <laughs> and they were rumored to, like, once Nkrumah got back, he was going to arrest him. <gasps> just so happens they do a coup while he's gone.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's like, oh, uh, just kidding.
1: <laughs> no more investigation wow. there, obviously.
0: Yeah, that's funny.
1: Uh, all right. What about the military? Why are they in on this? Uh, Nkrumah was increasingly favoring his own personal guard regiment, like his own bodyguard sort of thing.
0: I mean, he get almost assassinated like five times. So. Yeah.
1: So he's continuously beefing these guys up. He's paying <laughs> them more attention than the military. There's also lots of inflation and military salaries were still locked in like at 1957 levels. Ooh, okay. So they're like, what the fuck? You know? So that's why they're in a, in on it. You also had another factor pushing all this was the British. Uh, like we mentioned, they they've been asking about this for a while. <laughs> they've been interested. But all the coup plotters in the police and the military had been trained in Britain, okay. at the Metropolitan Police College or at Sandhurst, the Royal Military Academy. They were all pro Western Anglophiles. Uh, and they were upset at the more pro-Soviet direction that Ghana was heading. You also had, you guys have been sitting there patiently in the van waiting for it, Dave and Dan. You also had the <laughs> CIA.
0: They, they are like, woo. They waved their little flag. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh,
1: the CIA had a station in Accra with a generous budget. And the CIA was maintaining contacts within the army and with the coup plotters.
0: Of course they were.
1: Uh, they also let the coup plotters know that the CIA and the American government would support them. If you know, I mean, anything should if just so happen. Happened. Yeah, you know. If accidentally. N- if you accidentally fell end up off in a charge, track, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they would uh, They would give them the thumbs up.
0: They'd <laughs> be into that.
1: Here's an interesting note. Uh, Howard Bain, the CIA station chief in Accra, had actually proposed uh coordinating with the coup and saying okay when they do this what we should do is we should get some agents to storm the chinese embassy
0: whoa during
1: the coup uh it's gonna be weird if we have white guys doing this but we only got white guys so we're gonna put them in blackface (laughs) and storm the chinese embassy kill everybody inside ransack Whoa. it for intel and then blow it up to cover up the scene of the crime
0: wowza bowser that is rough on several levels
1: the CIA chief said that's a lot that's a <laughs> lot Howard let's <laughs> not do if the that
0: the CIA chief has to tell you to tone it down like <laughs> wow that's so, pretty bad
1: yeah they refuse that plan but he's still he's still awarded a uh, he's still awarded a double promotion and the intelligence <laughs> star for the cia's handling of the coup <laughs> so they were still doing the intelligence
0: shit. star oh. <laughs> makes him sound
1: just smart like good job yeah You're smart. <laughs>
0: good job you did it great plan
1: so cia always doing good so yeah the, the coup how does that unfold it's pretty quick uh the coup plotters take power using the military to capture key government buildings it's bloody they end up fighting against the presidential guard there's a death toll of around 1600 people
0: whoa okay that's pretty big
1: yeah uh in the press in the western press of course it's billed as a bloodless uh <laughs> coup but
0: fight for a democracy or whatever
1: yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah the uh, usual the, the generals and the cops set up a national liberation council as the new government and they make some changes
0: yeah i bet they do
1: uh, first off they say constitution we don't need that suspend it Oh, cool. Uh, dismiss Nkrumah. He's no, he's no longer. Who cares? Get him out of here. Uh, they dissolve the National Assembly. You don't need that either. All right.
0: Cool. Very normal.
1: CPP were outlawing that. Anything affiliated with it, get out of here. We're arresting hundreds of CPP members. Nkrumah loyalists were outlawing the formation of new political parties.
0: Very democratic.
1: They took over the state-owned newspapers and made them, you know, mouthpieces for them instead. Uh, They threatened journalists with 28 days of detention and up to three years imprisonment for talking bad about the government. Uh, And they used military tribunals against any civilians accused of subversion. Uh, They also, conveniently enough, exempted the military from taxes, gave (laughs) themselves cash bonuses, restored their pensions, and doubled military spending.
0: Very cool. Very (laughs) normal. Uh,
1: They also said we've got to change the economic policy you know who knows a lot about economic policy and who could really help us out as the imf let's get no, those guys in here
0: those fucking guys
1: and so they obviously come in and say you guys should just like provide for your people right And that's definitely what they say
0: no they say austerity 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 that's the only word we know
1: ding 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 <laughs> get rid of those rent caps we don't need that Uh, reduce government spending, uh, make friendly deals with the foreign companies, privatize all your state corporations, get rid of that shit. Development projects. You guys are building up shit in agriculture, building up stuff in manufacturing. No, 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 no. Leave that to Russia. We don't need that. Out of here. We're not spending on that at all. Mysteriously enough, cocoa prices started to recover too.
0: Mmm, my God.
1: It's It's like how Nixon said that they were going to make the economy scream to get rid of Salvador Allende in Chile.
0: It's icky.
1: Convenient how they can do that. Uh, (laughs) The National Liberation Council, heavy on the liberation, obviously, outlawed strikes. Uh, They made incitement to general strike punishable by, what do you think? Is it death? Yeah, part of it. 25 years in prison or death.
0: Or, you know, you can take your option. (laughs) Very chill.
1: For inciting to general strike (laughs) wow uh even so uh ghanaian workers went on strike 147 times between 1966 and 1969 they faced firings from their jobs and actual firings from bullets violence from employers and the government
0: that's a lot of strikes in a few years yeah
1: they were not having it. i bet uh they also ceased diplomatic relations with the soviet union china and cuba they closed their embassies, they deported their technicians, they withdrew their own embassies from many communist countries, and they, of course, sucked up to the West. Uh, they were described uh, as almost pathetically pro-Western. <laughs> uh, this was in a memo to Lyndon Johnson by one of his National Security oh. Council advisors.
0: God, if they think they're pathetic. Right. Like, this guy, it's a little much. I love
1: this dude's name. His name was Bob Comer, but his nickname is Blowtorch Bob.
0: <laughs> okay
1: uh basically because he was super blunt it's, it's a people okay, just, okay. he's just a blowtorch you know but he was like yeah these guys are pathetically pro-western
0: that's hilarious like they're wearing like american flags everywhere yeah they're just simping like. <laughs> like. <laughs> i love you guys
1: <laughs> uh so that's what succeeded in uh,
0: yeah i didn't like it you're right shitty stuff shitty shitty stuff
1: so Nkrumah lived the rest of his life in exile. Uh, He left China. That's where he found out about the coup and they told him and he was kind of in disbelief. If he's like, you guys are fucking joking, right? Like this is you guys kind of pull out the camera and is, oh, (laughs) we got you. We really got you. No, but it's for real. No, That's where he found out about it. He left there for Guinea as the guest of his friend and ally, uh, President Ahmad Secco toure uh who like you know he had been working with him before and everything he's the one that did the union of african states with him and Seko toure to to be nice made him honorary honorary co-president of the country just like <laughs> to give him sweet. something to do i guess
0: yeah like get your mind off of that come on come help me over here <laughs> Come
1: on, bro it's okay you're still <laughs> Sorry president you lost in your my country
0: oh president bros for life
1: yeah but basically he had retired from public life you know he continued to write about pan-africanism about socialism communism but he was i mean he was gardening he was entertaining guests he was like not in it anymore uh but he does become more overtly communist during this time Uh, he wrote in 1969 in a uh, work called class struggle in africa that pan-african socialism would quote advance the triumph of the international socialist revolution and the onward progress toward world communism under which every society is ordered on the principle of from each according to his ability to each according to his needs
0: nice i'm into
1: it straight up you know hey guys now i can tell you i'm really a communist
0: (laughs) (laughs) not that i'm not a president anymore (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
1: Uh, He was also, though, very paranoid in his later days. He was worried that, like, Western spies were out to get him and were going through his mail and everything, which, I mean, I can vibe with. Like, Dave and Dan, y'all might not be there. Who knows? (laughs) Maybe a figment. But then, by this point, he was fairly old. He was in his 60s. And in August 1971, uh, he flew to Romania to get medical treatment. Uh, That's all the source said. It may have been that he already knew that he had prostate cancer. Oh. Uh, Which he did end up dying in Romania in April 1972, the age of 62. And that brings his story to an end.
0: All righty. I only have one question, I think. And I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about parties. How good were his parties? No. uh, (laughs) Did he throw any ragers? I guess... What what do we have any info on like what democracy looked like in there uh, in in Ghana during his rule? Like, I mean, I understand one party system, but like, was it a people's party?
1: I don't know for sure how democratic the party politics part of it was Mm -hmm. like how much they allowed dissent or debated things. I think it was sort of democratically like democratic centralism like that was sort of the governing factor of it and that it was one party. It was mm, centralized in that way, but I'm not, I don't have any direct sources that are like, yeah, this was great. We all got to like have popular, you know, have we talked about in Cuba Yeah, yeah. How they have these popular conventions and everything to really get people to say, I don't know how much they were actually doing of that.
0: I was just curious about that because like that could have helped with some of the the issues of like people kind of feeling like they weren't, being heard you know like the farmers and stuff and yeah
1: it was a mass party i will say that so it wasn't like it was really very hard to join on board now once you were there if you didn't really agree with what they were doing i don't know how probably wasn't the best uh, in terms of accepting dissent it's one of the things that nkrumah himself was just not very good at doing
0: Bit of a Virgo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I liked his backstory, you know, nerd leading a peaceful yet successful independence movement. That was kind of good. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I, I really liked him in the front half, really the front, like two thirds. I was into it. But uh, yeah, I mean, he got three strikes and some of those are pretty bad strikes. Like even the first two, I'm like, OK, the jail one was really bad. Don't get me wrong. Not into that. But you could argue, like, okay, we're just getting the dissenters out of the way, sure. President for life, we talked about it. Not a fan of that. For me, it's the shitty damn deal. That shitty damn damn. What do you think? I think that was his fucking downfall.
1: Uh, I would agree with that. I do think it really severely weakened his position. Basically set the economy up to be impossible to fix. Then, you know, gets the people to say, hey, it's fine if this guy goes, you know?
0: You know what? What? Don't go chasing waterfalls.
1: But do you think that's a hindsight thing? Like, there wasn't a way for him to be able to really figure out that they were going to screw him like that?
0: I don't know, man. I don't know if it's just because, like, he had spent some time in the States and, like, therefore, for some reason had a decent picture of them. I just, like, w- why? Why would you go to them? That's, like the like, one of the worst options you could go to in terms of, like, people who will fuck you over. Like, he understood imperialism. He understood neo-colonialism like he understood how that worked and still went to an american corporation you know a, a metals industry historically very exploitative and was like come set up shop here like what are you doing
1: timeline wise maybe uh he does understand neo-colonialism i think to some extent but he really doesn't crystallize it into what we were reading before oh uh, the book till 1965 <laughs> which is like the he wrote it end. after it's
0: like these guys really fucked me over. Let me tell you. I mean, you know,
1: there may be an al- element of it is like, hey, yeah, let me tell you, it's like a, a burn <laughs> book about them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, don't do what I did, guys.
1: But I mean, I I think that he probably, and again, maybe it's hindsight, but it does seem like he should have known enough about how things are working. And I mean, he's got the instinct, he's got the bones mm-hmm. of like these guys. You know they're they're who we're working against, and we've got to all band together against. He he already knows that, so he you would think he has enough of that knowledge. But on the other hand, he had worked with the British to gradually gain Ghana its independence. So
0: that's true. He
1: thought that he could kind of gradually work this until he realized, kind of, as it's already unfolding and it's already been signed and everything. He's like, fuck, this is not going to work, and now I've got to watch this thing unfold bad. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You can you can reform your way to independence, but you cannot reform your way to like economic socialism. Like that's they're gonna say no to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the important historical lessons from this is don't trust the capitalists, man. They're they're gonna <laughs> don't do it when their backs up against the wall. They're gonna find some right sort of way. Yeah, they're gonna find some way to get you. Yep. But I mean, like you said, really across the board. I, I liked his other policies generally mm-hmm. education healthcare, feminism foreign policy all that um i love this theory you know it's very open veins i think most of it still applies today you know can help you understand the world better well, you know why do rich countries so easily easily just shrug off the loss of human lives in certain parts of the world you know that well that's because that's what's expected there you know we've talked about that before or why do we always find, you know, another couple billion dollars in the couch cushions to buy arms for Ukraine when we're always <laughs> too strapped for cash to fund healthcare here? You know, it's mysterious unless you know about neo-colonialism.
0: Yeah, very true. I mean, timeline wise, it makes sense, I think, then that maybe he didn't have that theory as crystallized or, you know, he wrote about it later. Because then, if you think about Open Bay, that was written like the mid—was it mid or late seventies? Something like that. It was the seventies, mm-hmm. so like that makes sense that like then Galliano like had those references to pull from as well.
1: Yeah, I don't know what what about the coup. To me, that's kind of tough because like how it, it was—it was almost inevitable at that point.
0: I think so. You're just so if you had had enough economic success, you, you could—you know—the people wouldn't have gone for it. They'd be like, "Yeah, hey, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, we have electricity and it's rad here."
1: Yeah. And, and the cops and, and the military wouldn't have dared in and, and the first place wouldn't have dared because popular opinion was so strong. And, and, and the second probably wouldn't have wanted to try it because so many of them had family and were themselves people in Ghana who were like, eh, I'm kind of betting benefiting from this, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. For real. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that would have been as a big of an issue. And like the good thing is most I would, you know, the main organizers of, the, of that coup was like, yeah, they're they're assholes anyway. So like. Once they got into their heads like they were gonna do it. It's not like it's not like it you know, he was overthrown by someone who was like, Hey, you like, you know, didn't do enough for me in this and they were like a good person. i you know, there are people who joined in, I guess, maybe who did that. Right, but it's but not the like organizers. Other
1: socialists taking him down or mm-hmm, something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well you know, but that's also easier said than done, dude, just do a better economy, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: Have you tried having a better economy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I don't know. Overall, I liked him.
0: I liked him, too.
1: I think he was a good socialist. He was anti-colonist, anti-imperialist. I think he made some mistakes, but he was fighting to, you know, free people from capitalism. So I dig that. And it sucks. I mean, it it's one of those tragic tales where you're like, damn, you know. Again, we're not saying he did everything right. We just sat here and told you the things we didn't like that he did.
0: <laughs> we just enumerated them.
1: But, I mean, it would have been cool to see... I mean, to see him succeed in the other, you know, in, the, in where he failed to where his people could have that fight and say, hey, okay. can we not fucking do preventive detention? Can we, like, can we make these changes? But they never got that chance. I mean, the reactionaries won. So there you go. A little bit of a bummer.
0: A little bit of a bummer ending.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that's Kwame Nkrumah, his life story.
0: Great. Thank you for telling me that story.
1: Anytime. Actually, don't ask me about any again, No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next week, we are watching a movie.
1: Communist movie night.
0: Hell yeah. This one was requested to us a couple times. Uh, I believe Cody was one of the, uh, one of the people who requested it. Um, it's called Pride, um, and it is streaming on Amazon, or you can just find it somewhere. Who cares where?
1: Fell off a truck.
0: Yeah, well, don't ask questions. Uh, <laughs> it's about a, uh, a gay and lesbian group that uh, raises money to support a British strike fund for some minors. So, gonna talk about some intersectionality.
1: Hell yeah, love to see it.
0: righty then, see ya next week.
1: Alright, adios.
0: Bye. Hey there comrades, just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email, that's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question. Anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should... You can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube. If that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode including the backlog of notes which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies and at the end of the year all of the funds from patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the dfw area so hang on to line our pockets finally we have merch check us out at t public you can find shirts and i believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes. So check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye y'all.